0: I'm going to read three passages from three separate psalms just to well, just to get our mind going in the right way. I think that our hearts are already in the right way. Certainly the Spirit's in the right way. We sang a song just a moment ago, We'll oh, magnify the Lord with me, let us exalt His name together. We'll be reading that here in just a moment. Brother Joel just a moment ago also mentioned that as he was praying... We need to magnify the Lord. So I think we chose the right subject this evening. Psalm chapter, or Psalm number 35, verse 27, Psalm 40, verse 16, and then Psalm 34. We'll read the first three verses there. Psalm 35, 27 says, Let them shout for joy and be glad who favor my righteous cause. And let them say continually, Let the Lord be magnified who has pleasure in the prosperity or the peace or the goodness uh, the well-being of his servant. Psalm 40 in verse 16 says this, Let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let such as love your salvation say continually, The Lord be magnified. That's not right. And then Psalm 34 in verses 1 through 3, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt His name together. Let's bow our heads together once again. Heavenly Father, we are grateful, Lord, that You allow us to lift Your name up. You allow us to glorify You. You allow us to worship You. Father, all of these things that we can give that are sacrifices and offerings of praise and thanksgiving... Among other things, Lord, it's a privilege to be able to offer these things. It's a privilege and it should be a joy indeed, Lord, to worship you, to glorify you, to serve you in all that you do. Thank you for allowing us that, that we get to do that, Father. I'm grateful, Lord, for the relationship that we have with you, the Almighty God. Help us to appreciate it, to bear it out that others might see it and desire it for themselves. Bless this word to our hearts tonight. Be glorified, be magnified, I ask. For your glory, and in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I like the verse uh, in Proverbs 11.1 1, that says, Dishonest scales are an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is His delight. I like that concept that the Lord is entirely righteous, entirely holy, entirely fair. And that dishonest scales to Him, whatever that application, whatever the context and circumstance might be, He doesn't. He's not interested in... Unfairness. He's not interested in someone deceiving another for their own good and their own benefit. And I've always made plain that, well, that while God is perfect and just and dishonest scales are an abomination to him, that doesn't mean that he believes, well, that he's not willing to heap a whole load of blessing on my side of the scale when it comes to the relationship that I have, the relationship that you have with the Almighty God, if you were to put a balance you know, with God's blessing and benefit on one side and our own on the other, I think you would agree with me that we certainly seem to be the beneficiary much greater. Now, the Lord values who we are. The Lord values our relationship. The Lord values we small people in a way that we can't comprehend and for reasons we can't fully comprehend. And I'm grateful for that. But the blessing that we have in in regards to what we bring to the table. Man, the scales, well, the odds are always in our favor, I guess you could say. The scales are always tilted in our favor. Uh, but I will say this, he's honest about it. So it's not a dishonest scale. And what we bring and what he brings, well, he is honest about it and he makes plain he wants to bless. And so I was thinking there to myself as I was preparing this lesson uh, that we who are God's children, we're made a number of different things by the hand of the Lord. And we use some of these words that we're familiar with, these terms and concepts that we're familiar with as, as students of the Word and just being familiar familiar with the things of God. I have a list, and it's a long one. I won't tell you all of them, but we're redeemed by the Lord. We're reconciled through Jesus to the Father. We're consecrated by the Lord, justified by the Lord, sanctified by the Lord, set aside by the Lord. All of these things and more. Again, I have quite a list here. We're all of those things, and we can't do those for Him in return. We can't redeem Him. We can't reconcile Him. We can't consecrate Him. We can't justify Him or make Him just who's already just. I have in my notes here, we can't sanctify him in fairness. It does say sanctify the Lord in our hearts and that sort of thing. Set him aside. But we can't cleanse him and make him sanctified as he cleanses us. We can't do any of those things. And it kind of, i I think of it in this way. You ever have a friend or a parent or someone else that is dear to you and you want to buy them a gift? And they can buy themselves anything that they want. Right? What do you buy someone who has anything and everything that they want? That can buy anything. You have to think about it and you have to really consider. You know, if he wanted a shirt, he could buy himself a shirt. If he wanted shoes, if he wanted whatever, he could buy himself these things. And does buy himself these things. The Lord, what do you give him who has everything? Psalm 50 kind of tells us, well, that he has everything. Uh, Psalm 50, now he doesn't give himself everything the Lord doesn't, but he owns everything. Psalm 50 and verse 10, Asaph the psalmist says this, For every beast of the forest is mine, he's speaking for the Lord, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the mountains and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all its fullness. So what can we give to him? I could be just real cliche and real obvious here and say, well, we give him ourselves. We give him everything. We give him our, our, we give him our everything. We give him ourselves, And we could just be done early and go home right now. But, well, we have to think about something a little bit further than that, right? We can be a little bit more specific than this. We can't redeem him. We can't reconcile him. We can't consecrate him. We can't do these things. But we can, as you read a moment ago, we can magnify him. This isn't just merely worship. This isn't just just isolated to praise. This isn't just our singing to Him. This isn't just our gathering around and praising Him and that sort of thing. We can magnify Him. There's some broadness to this. Some depth to what magnifying the Lord is. In common English, to magnify something is to make something appear larger than it is. I think it's Brother Joel, and I almost called you today, Joel, to ask you, don't you have like a big magnifying screen or something like that? Ah, I almost asked him for it. Oh, this big, this wide. We can make myself appear very, very large. You know, hold it in front of my face. I wanted to do something like that, but I'm like distracting. You don't want to do that sort of thing. But that being said, he's got a great big magnifying glass, magnifying screen. That makes things appear larger. You can put it in front of me and you see my eyeballs bulge out like this and make my face look huge and that sort of thing, but it only makes me appear larger, right? It's a, it's a, well, it's a, oh, my mind, I lost myself. It's a, you know what it is. <laughs> it's a visual, visual, what's the term I'm looking for? Optical. optical illusion. Thank you so much, all of you who knew it, and I'm the only one who didn't. It's an optical illusion. It looks like something that it isn't. It doesn't change my weight. doesn't change my mass. It doesn't change what I occupy in this space right here. It looks like it's bigger. So that being said, that's common English. That's not what we're talking about here in Scripture. We're not going to try to hold something up to make Him appear larger than He is because we can't do that. We can't make Him appear larger. Now, it's not completely wrong. I'm not going to say that that definition doesn't completely apply. But we know that God's name is bigger than... And larger and greater than any other name. We know that it is. We know who He is. God's works are bigger, larger, greater than any other works. God Himself is bigger, larger, greater than any other being. We're not trying to make Him appear larger than He is because He's infinite. I'm not going to make you wrap your mind around all of that, but it is what it is. He is the Almighty God. We can't magnify Him and try to make Him appear larger than He is because He already is is large in scripture to magnify something is to enlarge something or to amplify something or to promote something we have an amplifier little box back here in this back room that pushes the signal takes the signal from that microphone takes it through the processor and it pushes the signal sufficiently enough that they can hear it back there in the nursery this morning I decided to play the bass. I almost plugged it in right now, and during song service, really cranked it up for a visual. Or not a visual, for an illustration. But that would have been more distracting, perhaps, than a big magnifying glass. It's an amplifier. If I pick on the bass string right now, you won't hear it from back where you're at. You won't hear it because it's very quiet. It's a big, thick string. When you pluck it, it's not you can't hear it unless you're up close on it. But when I turn on that amplifier... When I turn on this magnifier, it takes that sound out of that string, sends it through this, amplifies that sound, and magnifies it. Increases something and makes it heard when it's not necessarily heard otherwise. God has made plain His existence from the beginning. He has made clear that He is who He is and He does what He does from the beginning to any who will Look and see. We're spending a lot of time in Psalms this evening. Turn to the 19th one, and we'll read the first three verses there. In Psalm 19, in verses 1 through 3, I'm going to turn there as well, because I want to know who wrote this Psalm, and I don't remember. It is David, as I thought it was. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork, David says. Day unto day utters speech. And night unto night reveals knowledge. This is a metaphor that he's speaking in here that the day declares and speaks the existence of God. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. It doesn't matter if you don't <laughs> what language you might speak or if you don't speak at all. You can recognize that there's something well, not just something God made creation. God made these things. The heavens declare His righteousness and all the peoples see His glory, Psalm 97 verse 6 says. Paul in the New Testament goes so far as to say that we are without excuse, we who push that creation and that testimony of creation aside. For since the creation of the world, he says in Romans 1.20, His invisible attributes, that means those that cannot be seen with the naked eye, His invisible attributes nevertheless are clearly seen. Being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. God has been declared more than sufficiently for any to see. But he's also able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. That anyone asks or thinks, and he's willing to do that. So... Even though all of these things testify to his reality, his existence, his works, his hands, all of those things, he still puts in place a bunch of little amplifiers in this assembly, in other assemblies, in other places outside of this place. A grassroots, boots on the ground type of series of magnifiers. And that's us. That's you and me. That's his children. We are his magnifiers. We are his amplifiers who pick up perhaps sometimes the quieter times when he is rather quiet in things. He, he, not, not thundering around and, and expressing himself and writing it in the sky as we sometimes use as the cliche. Writing in the sky that he is, I am God, I'm still here and that sort of thing. And making these quite overt and obvious things as we would want in the flesh. No, he's quiet sometimes, like a bass string just vibrating, and you can't hear it if you do not have your ear tuned to it. So he has you and me, and he has other people who pick up that sound and amplify it, magnify it, at least if we're doing as he would have us to do. Magnify, amplify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. We have the privilege of doing this, the privilege of amplifying and promoting and enlarging his word, his works, his coming his will, his name, everything that he is. It's something that we can actually give to him when we can't redeem, justify, consecrate, sanctify all of these things that he does for us. So may we magnify him. Now we understand that creation again speaks loudly metaphorically speaking and figuratively but literally it can be quite quiet sometimes. I go up to the mountains. I haven't been there for a while, sadly. But when I go up into the mountains, it's my happy place. It's one of them. I like other places as well. But the mountains are one of my happy places. And when I go up there, I don't want to have people around. I'll allow my own people to be there. you know, Or ones who are dear to me. I don't mind that sort of thing. But, you know... If I'm going for a hike and there are tons of people around, it just kind of robs it for me. I want to be out secluded. I want to be out someplace where it's quiet. Certainly when I spend time up up at altitude, at elevation, and there's a lake over here and maybe there's a, a creek or a brook running down here or something, for the most part it's quiet. At least it's quiet from the hubbub and that sort of thing. And I sit and I take it in. And you can be real sappy and sanctimonious about it and be like, oh, look at the beauty of God. I do, man. I look at it and I think, God made this. This is beautiful and it's but a fraction of what He's capable of doing. And part of the time, it's quiet. And it testifies clearly of who He is, especially when you know where it came from and who He is. Uh, In those times when we're quiet, (laughs) when we're quiet, when the Lord is quiet in things, we don't have to be. We can magnify the Lord with our words. Turn to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. We can magnify the Lord with our own mouths, with our words. I spoke about a, a doctor's appointment I went to here recently that I, well, I met this older gentleman who came in and he magnified God in word. I talked about him this morning. Had his Bible and he was ready to talk about it and he did and he magnified the Lord. He amplified that. He took. What was rather quiet and what was a rather still time, and he amplified the Lord's presence there, the Lord's word there. Uh, I was blessed by it when he used his words to magnify the Lord. In Philippians chapter 1, we'll look at verse 15 here. Paul expresses that Paul wasn't very choosy about the motivations from those ones who would speak the actual word of God. He said, some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife. He said that some people don't always have the greatest motivations. Now, he had some personal anecdotes, some personal situations and circumstances with different ones who preached with envy and strife toward him probably. There, you, know, you can sit and you can puff yourself up as a, as a preacher. And when this guy who, well, even at the time that he wrote Philippians... People knew who Paul had been when he was Saul. People knew his background. We'll talk more about that here this coming Wednesday, as a matter of fact. They knew who he was. They knew what his history had. And a lot of them weren't willing to forgive that. Weren't willing to look past that and couldn't believe that perhaps this guy might be speaking the word when he was persecuting people of the way. what in the world? And so they had some strife, perhaps. Saw the blessing that he was as he was walking by faith. There might have been some envy there. Paul said, <laughs> I don't care. I don't care. I'm not going to let it dissuade me. His own good, his own relationship with that person, I mean, you take that before the Lord certainly, but how it might impact him naturally speaking wasn't the most important thing to Paul. He said it in verse 18. What then? Only that in every way, Whether in pretense or in truth, whether it's by their envy, whether it's in their strife, whether they're trying to prove that they're the better preacher, whether they're trying to prove that this is still their turf, whatever the situation might be, I don't care what their context is. If they're preaching Christ, I'll rejoice. I am rejoicing and I'm grateful for this. And that's that. He was grateful that the Word was preached no matter what the motivation was. And that the Lord was the focus and not Him. God agrees with this. I won't turn there, but Psalm 138 and verse 2, the second part of that, David says, You have magnified your word above all your name. That's saying something when you consider the name of God and everything that the name above all names stands for, represents, is. His word is something that is blasted higher and greater than that. His word, his being, who he is, his makeup, what comprises him, what defines him that's what needs to be amplified more than his people more than his miracles more even than his name by his own words luke chapter 19 i like the evidence that it gives in luke 19 i've gone to this a number of times and it's one of my it's one of my hundreds of favorite scriptures i guess i always say that it's become kind of cliche and probably a little bit annoying but i love luke 19 where it speaks this gives that evidence of the need for the Lord to be magnified and the privilege that it is for us to do so. Luke 19, verse 39, this is when Jesus had His entry into Jerusalem for the final time. And they were waving palm branches and saying, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. And and they were grateful to have Him coming Well, for the time. And the Pharisees called to Him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples, they said. Shut them down. Don't let them... Praise you so. But I answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. You don't understand. This is a time and a moment when the Son of God needs to be magnified, needs to be glorified. And if these are kept silent somehow, boom, I don't know what that would have looked like, but the rocks would have opened up and a choir of granite would have sung his praises evidently. It's our privilege it's our honor to keep those stones silent, as I like to say. It's our privilege to magnify him with our own words and testimony, in witness, in song, and teaching and praise and worship and all of those things. It's our privilege to keep those rocks silent and praise and magnify the name of God. His word, the word of God, delivering well an explanation, a defense. A statement, a teaching, whatever the case might be, simply a praise, a worship, whatever the case might be, a word of God. It's our pleasure. Now, we don't just magnify him in word. I hate to keep on calling him out, but Brother Joel prayed that as well, that we wouldn't just magnify the Lord in word, but in deed as well. We magnify him with our voices, certainly, but that's only of limited value. Only of limited profit. Only of limited blessing. If our actions and our living do not match those words. If we don't follow suit with our behaviors, our habits, our attitudes, and all of those things. We need to magnify the Lord with our living. And I don't think that I'm telling you anything you don't know. But we need to be reminded of these things sometimes. We need to be reinforced of those things. Because sometimes we get just a little bit off-center or just a little bit askew in things and we're walking funny and then we try to compensate for that walk funny and then we end up injuring something else or damaging something else and our walk gets way off we need to magnify the lord in our living the stones are evidence that he would magnify himself even without us if he needed to if the magnification if the worship of the lord needed to take place he could do it without us He doesn't need us to worship Him. He needs to be honored. He needs to be glorified. He doesn't need this voice to do it. It's my privilege. And when my attitude doesn't quite match the attitude that He desires from us, well, even then, He can make me do... He can make me honor him. I just won't be blessed as much for it. Uh, I'm not going to turn up to it, but in John chapter 11, we read of a man named Caiaphas. You understand who he was, the high priest at the time of Jesus' crucifixion. And he prophesied, much to his own chagrin probably, he didn't even realize it in the time, prophesied that it was expedient. Ah, let's turn to John 11 verse 50. Let's just do that. <laughs> going to turn there. I have it in my notes, but it's a valid enough point. We should probably look at it for just a moment. John chapter 11 and verse 50. Well, that's not right at all, is it? Yes, it is. John chapter 11, we'll start in verse 49. And one of them, Caiaphas, being high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all. When they were, well, the Pharisees had gathered together, and they're like, what are we going to do? This man is doing all kinds of remarkable things. And he says, nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and not that the whole nation should perish. John even said, Now this he did not say on his own authority, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. He was speaking against his own will, essentially against his own concept, against his own understanding. Jesus would indeed die for the nation. It was expedient for them and all of us for him to do so. Caiaphas was right on board. He's just on the wrong side of it. Wrong side of things. He was contributing to that, calling for that, thinking that it would be better for them, well, in a different way than it was that Jesus died. Balaam was another one. I'm not going to turn and talk about him. But he could only bless the people of Israel despite his intention, despite his willingness to accept money and material wealth, to curse them, to do other than bless. He couldn't couldn't speak because... The Lord spoke through him. The Lord said, I have something for you to say, and you're going to bless these people. You're going to really just, really just chap off the enemies of the people of Israel. What a blessing would have been available to Caiaphas. What a blessing would have been available to Balaam. I mean, think about what he was given in being able to speak to the Lord and the Lord using him, using him as a vessel to bless his people. What if he'd been on his side? What if he'd been on the Lord's side? Wouldn't that have been a blessing to him? To say, Lord, I I have the words. You've given me the words. I am on board. And, And walking and living the faith that he was, well, that would match the words that he was speaking as he was blessing Israel. What a privilege that is to have those two things match. And they didn't. And Balaam, he's identified as being quite the wicked man, quite the evil man. He's mentioned in not good context, not good words in the New Testament. It's an unfortunate thing. They didn't match. Their words might have been those things that would, well, magnify the Lord when you look at it. But their actions and their, well, their living did not match at all. Mark chapter 7. Jesus spoke, well, he spoke with those Pharisees in Mark chapter 7. He spoke of those ones. Uh, Those Pharisees and those scribes that would come up and contend with him. And he said this about them. He said, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, Mark 7, verse 6. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They honor me with their lips. They say things. They say the right things. They have an education in the things of God. They stay, say the right things at the wrong to- right time, perhaps. Their heart's all wrong. Their heart is far from me. In vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments He goes on to say, For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups, many other such things you do. He said to them, All too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. Said all of the things that they had learned. Well educated in the law. Well educated from exposure to the prophetic words and psalms and all of those things. Well educated. Spent time seeking the scripture. Could, Could probably quote Isaiah. Could probably from the times in the scrolls, be able to quote better than I do, perhaps. The words that spoke of the coming Messiah, and they didn't even recognize Him when Jesus Christ walked right in front of them. Completely dismissed it. Had a fantastic education. Spoke the words that magnified God, if it was brought in the context and understood in the context of the Holy Spirit, ministering. But when they saw Jesus, they dismissed Him. And their living didn't match, didn't come together at all. There was no blessing in it for them when you have the absence of Christ, no matter how good your words are. And the Lord worked despite those people, those ones who heard the word, heard the word spoken by these ones, and were able to take what those ones who didn't believe in Jesus, didn't identify him, when they were able to hear those words and turn and say, wait, is that a... <laughs> there he is. That's the one. The Lord blessed them in that. Despite the doings of those priests. Despite the work of those Pharisees. Well, Joseph, uh, Nicodemus. Nicodemus in John chapter 3. He was there in the same council that everyone else was in. He put it together. He said, something's going on. And he went and he talked with Jesus. And Jesus said, you're a teacher of the people. And yet you don't know this? You need to be born again. Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea went and they took the body of Jesus and they didn't hide later on. They were blessed in it when their actions matched the words that they spoke as well. But I digress there. Uh, Balaam, Caiaphas, these guys are extreme examples, certainly, of speaking the word that magnifies God and not living a life that magnifies God. The talk and the life not being in agreement there. We do the same thing today. God's people do the same thing where we might talk one way and not live the other way? I can give you a whole bunch of practical examples. I don't necessarily like doing those things sometimes, but, you know, God's people can church. We can pray. We can give testimonies. We can do all of those things. We can post verses about God. We can wear the shirts. We can do all those things. Wear little wrists, you know, bracelets that say Philippians 4.13 on them. We can do all those things, and God's people do. Then turn around and be anything but loving. Anything but loving. Anything but living. Well, First John 4 7 and 8, right? Might have that on a shirt and be anything but loving to those people that we encounter, those people that we have at our homes. We can sit and we can go to church. We can pray and we can post verses about God's love and be unfaithful to our spouses. We can church. We can pray. We can post verses. We can do all of those things. Then, well, on our Finsta, our other Instagram account that maybe doesn't have our name on it. We can post things that are absolutely not God's verses. Absolutely opposite of those verses that we might post. That's that's obvious hypocrisy. Obvious extreme examples. No, it's not. That's examples. That is real life examples that God's people do every day. Burying themselves in vices after they come in church, come and pray, do all of these things. Lose ourselves to the all well, the carnal vices that are there, we invest in ungodly relationships. We okay and encourage people in their ungodliness. Uh, listen, man, I could go on and on about those practical things that we can and do do when the word and the life, the living do not match up. And both of them magnify God, whichever one is lacking, whenever they don't match up, it's hypocrisy. It's a hypocrisy that the Lord speaks against. That he preaches against, pre- preached against, while he walked this, walked this earth, he doesn't want to work despite us. He doesn't want our words and our, well, he doesn't want our words to magnify him and then our life be completely different, and work and magnify himself despite us. He doesn't want us to be Balaam. He doesn't want us to be Caiaphas. He doesn't want to work despite us. He wants to work with us when the word and the life both come together when they both magnify god it's blessing paul got it he magnified god's grace magnified him through his word magnified god's word in word and in deed he lived it out he was imprisoned unjustly there in philippians chapter 1 he speaks of it didn't just cry out his innocence didn't spend his time saying this is unjust this is unfair i've got my rights he didn't he didn't do that he just preached And he bore out what his life and what his testimony was doing. He preached, magnified the Lord. He lived the magnification of the Lord. And fruit was born as a result. In Philippians chapter 1 and verse 12, he said, But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. How come? Because I told them what I was doing. I told them what the Lord has done for me and I let them sit and watch how I have dealt with this in a godly manner. The word and the life matched up and fruit was born as a result. He goes on to talk about that fruit so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord having become confident by my chains are much more bold. Much more bold to speak the word without fear. Much more bold themselves to speak the words that magnify God. That magnify His grace, that magnify His word, that magnify His name, that magnify all of those things. Much, much more willing. When the words and the living come together, it's a blessing. We read about Paul oftentimes. And I'll be honest, he's a biblical figure. Oftentimes these biblical figures can seem kind of untouchable to us. Well, that was Paul. He was the apostle. For goodness sake, he was... He's Paul. I'm just me. I'm just, I'm not like Peter. Yeah, Peter had his frailties, but for goodness sake, he was the Apostle Peter. No, people, people can match word and living. We can match the word that magnifies the Lord and the living. These aren't just extreme testimonies. Paul is just a testimony, he's a man. Just as we can be. Uh, you know, oftentimes we can look at our own testimonies and we can look at one another. And sometimes we're like, well, I know them super well. And, and yeah, it's a great story. That is a great testimony and I appreciate that. But because of the closeness of our assembly, we, I think we kind of lose sight of the power that's present. The power that the Lord has manifested in our lives. I'm not saying power in and of ourselves, but the power of God that has worked on our lives. There are miracles that have taken place in different individuals here miracles, miraculous works that are only at the hand of God. We know about those things. I could sit here and I could (laughs) go down the line and I could say, that happened, that happened, that happened, that happened, that happened. This is what the Lord has worked in that life. This is what the Lord has worked in that life. Miracles. I can tell you about my own. You've heard him a million times. I've been preaching to you for a long time. You've heard him a million times. You've heard what the Lord has done for David and we lose. maybe we lose a little bit of sight of the power that's present. So I just, I read about a woman, I just thought I'd share this testimony with you. She's just a normal woman. And I went, and I'd heard a story about a teenage girl, a teenage girl who had, uh, she had a diving accident when she was 17 years old, and she was just trying to dive off of a rubber boat, and she gauged it wrong, and she went down, she piked her head right in, the, right in the sandy bottom of that, and it was a quadriplegic just like that, instantly at 17 years old. And she went through, I thought I'd just share a little piece of her testimony here. She was a Christian at the time by her own words. She said, I wasn't necessarily invested in living a life for the Lord, but I believed in God. But then once that happened, well, I trusted God. You know what? I'm 17 years old. I'm young. I am Christian. He can heal me. I know that He can. I read about it. I read about these different ones in in Scripture who, who were exactly as I am. And he said, rise up and walk, rise up and walk. And to be a testimony to everybody, he made these ones rise up and walk. And he says, she said, I believe that he can do that for me. And she went to faith healers and she went to different places and she drove around all over the place. Her mom took her. And she said, with every single place that I went, I, I, well, I started believing less and less that the Lord was going to heal me. And, and I got angry at it, she said. And she was upset and she was frustrated and all of these things until finally she recognized well, that she continued to look for ways of being healed. Well, let me read it here that, that she said here. I'll just read it to you exactly what she says. She says, does God miraculously heal? Sure, he does. But in this broken world, it's still the exception, not the rule. He answered no to my request for healing. She ultimately realized as she continued to look for ways to be healed by faith, she realized she was living less and less by faith. She kept on looking for this miracle to take place so that she could magnify God in this miracle. And she said, ultimately it came down to my understanding that the magnification of God was going to take place in the absence of a miracle. The absence of a natural miracle. Let me say it that way. The absence of a healing. To magnify the Lord the way she was intended she saw this at 17 years old. To magnify the Lord in the way that he intended she needed to not be healed. She went on to say a no answer to my request for a miraculous physical healing has meant much more to me than my arms and my legs. It has meant purged sin, a love for the lost, increased compassion, stretched hope, an appetite for grace, an increase of faith, a happy long a happy longing for heaven, a desire to serve, a delight in prayer, and a hunger for his word. And she finishes by saying, Oh bless the stern schoolmaster that is my wheelchair. <laughs> it's all to the praise of deeper healing of Christ in Christ. She recognized that to magnify the Lord the greatest was not going to be in a healing. It was going to be in the absence of that. And another time I heard her actually state, I'm so thankful that he didn't heal me when he could have. Yeah, it chokes me up, you know, and there's a certain measure of sentimentality and emotion that's attached there. But saints, by all accounts, you know, and I I try, I don't like to quote people a lot uh, from the pulpit because people have pasts and people have histories, and I tried to dig as deep as I could to find some kind of dirt on this woman, and I couldn't find it. So I felt a little bit more comfortable in sharing that. By all accounts, the life and the Word matched up together. They match up together, and God is magnified in that. God is glorified in that. Since then, she's had chronic pain. She's had multiple cancer diagnoses, and she continues to ask the Lord to heal if that's what He chooses. But she finds peace in understanding that magnifying Him and well, it comes either way. She knew what Paul knew. Paul says in Philippians 1 verse 19, if you step down the page, he says, I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Not necessarily natural deliverance. Not necessarily healing. Not necessarily freedom as Peter had when the angel came in and kicked him in the side last week as we considered. Not necessarily those things that we would ask. I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of spirit of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed. But with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. Saints, we cannot redeem the Lord. We cannot reconcile Him. We cannot consecrate Him. We cannot justify Him. But we can magnify Him. We can amplify Him in our words. We can amplify Him in our deeds. And when those things come together, magnificent, godly, blessed fruit comes as a result. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. O magnify In word and in deed, the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. That's our privilege, child of God.